Thank you, Maggie, very much indeed. Two very well-known passages, probably some of you feel you almost know them by, by heart and could almost recite them alongside uh, Maggie as she was reading there, very well-known, and full of vision and image and things that, are, uh, that stretch our imaginations, things that are actually, when we actually attend to them, really rather difficult to take on board. And, and that's a bit, I think, where we're at this morning. Um, we're beginning this series on prayer, and the very first theme we're looking at, in a sense, is the most, one of the most familiar, but also the most elusive um, aspects of, of prayer. And um, I have uh, wrestled with it a lot over the last couple of weeks, trying to prepare this sermon, and it may yet head off in directions unknown to me. Um, we'll see about that. Let's pray first of all. Father, we thank you that you invite us, you call us into your presence, and your desire is that as those who have put their faith in Jesus, we should know how to sit in your presence and gaze upon you. Be renewed, and like Isaiah, be sent out. We know, Father, these things often seem elusive to us, and we pray together this morning, you will help us, give us a hunger in our hearts for these things, and make yourself known to us, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a, a personal story, which I do with a little trepidation, actually, good number of years ago when Sue and I were working in Sudan, um, she fell very ill with hepatitis and uh, uh, almost died, actually. And we were brought home by our mission society, and we were living in a little flat just outside Southampton. And we were there sort of grounded for, uh, as it turned out, just nine months, I think, a uh, good number of months, waiting for Sue to get well. Now, there's nothing more frustrating, difficult uh, to engage with than just sort of waiting to get well. And I was grounded. Um, I was cut off from my work. I was here. There was not much I could do. She, Sue was frail. And we didn't know how long it would be for. So it was a, a very demoralizing time. Um, I wasn't depressed. Um, uh, but I was very flat, very neutral, just there, just surviving, just waiting. Very difficult time. And uh, I, Sue wasn't well enough to go to church. We used to go, I used to go to a, uh, an Anglican church in Locks Heath on the way to Portsmouth. And um, one Sunday morning, I went to church there, and I was totally flat, totally neutral, it was just habit that took me there. And um, I went and sat two-thirds back, which I think is the most neutral place you can be in a church. Um, just, <laughs> just, just looking a little bit back there. So you're not sort of saying, no, I'm not part of this. And you're not saying, yes, I am part of this. You're saying, mm-hmm, let's see how this goes. 
So I was sitting two-thirds of the way back, thoroughly disengaged, uh, just allowing it to, to happen around me. And uh, we were invited to stand at the beginning of the communion prayer. And then the priest at the front said, the Lord is here. And the congregation replied, his spirit is with us. And in that moment, and actually I'm sort of revisiting it now, uh, uh, incredible sensations went all the way through my body from my head to my feet. Um, tingling, sort of my hair on end. Uh, a just extraordinary moment of good grief, it's true. Good grief. The Lord is here. Uh, I, I reluctant to turn it into words, except that at that moment, the Lord is here. I was overwhelmed by a sense that it was actually true. It was real, and I was there, and it was happening. Um, and I sat down, and I, I wept for a good while. I don't do that very often, and I'm not actually... I'm not someone who has such experiences very often, but it was a very powerful moment and a very strategic and significant moment for me. Uh, you may have noticed, or you may not, but for me, when uh, every time I celebrate communion and we begin, the Lord is here, and you respond, his spirit is with us, that's actually an enormously powerful moment for me I, I, because I believe that to be really so. The Lord is here, his spirit is with us. Um, I went back to the flat, and Sue opened the door for me, and she said, golly, something's happened to you. Uh, <laughs> not, people don't say that often. Um, now, I mention that with some trepidation because we don't have such experiences often, and some of us maybe have never had such an experience. Um, it has its parallels, doesn't it, with the story we read in Isaiah, and Isaiah being in the temple uh, the year Uzziah died, the, the, a moment of political change, a moment of political uncertainty, um, the future unknown, and God intervenes and speaks. Um, probably if we had a couple of hours, we could go around the room and many of, many of you could say, I, I've had an experience, something like that. What I want to draw out of that is the fact that part of the Christian life, part of the Christian experience, part of the life of prayer is an openness to such times and moments, and that God desires us to come into his presence, to be in his presence. It's not about our experience, because we come into his presence for him. We come into his presence for adoration, for worship, for praise. But it there is an experience, there is an encounter, there is a relationship that goes, goes with it. In a sense, on that occasion, God took hold of me. And uh, but the invitation of Scripture is often the other way around. It's inviting us, calling us, and inviting us into God's presence. The responses we had at the beginning there were uh, based around Psalm 27, where words of God are given in the psalm, seek my face, seek me, seek my face. And the psalmist replies, Lord, your face do I seek. And that sense of worship and prayer being about seeking the Lord's face 
is very common in, in Scripture. It comes over and over again. And it's about where prayer starts, about a coming before and into the presence of God face-to-face. Being face-to-face is about relationship, about intimacy, about meeting, about knowing and being known. And all those things are part of the experience of prayer and adoration is being in that place. Adoration is being in that place where our attention is on the living God. And I'll come in just a few moments to what that means. The Old Testament is a little bit ambiguous about coming before God's face in that way. um, Moses desired to see God's glory, and you'll remember the story, uh, the famous story in which God says, I'm going to hide you because no man can look on my face and live. I'm going to hide you and you will just see my passing. You will just see my my back, as it were. And that was uh, an assurance enough for Moses. But the Old Testament has this common theme about seeking God's face, being before him. You can follow it into the New Testament. Um, The story of the transfiguration is about the disciples suddenly seeing beyond the physical, normal, everyday presence of Jesus to seeing his glory, seeing who he really is in some transfigured glory, some some magnificent sense like that. Um, Working with these themes, Paul talks about uh, the fact that uh, in the Old Testament, these things were veiled, these things were... Uh, not wholly clear, but now we, there is no veil covering our eyes, but we uh, are able to reflect the glory of Christ because we see him. We are in his presence. We, we are aware of his glory and, and his very self, and, and we reflect that into the world. The picture of Revelation, and we read a passage there, is about the destiny of us all is to be in God's presence and in that place of adoring worship. I think a lot of us are actually quite um, uncertain about how to engage with this and how to, as it were, get there. Intercession, praying for other people. Petition, praying for ourselves. Confession, acknowledging before God our need for his forgiveness and asking for his strength. One way or another, we know how to do this. It stumbles out of us. It's the immediate uh, desires that we have when we come in prayer. We're in in a mess, we need help. We fouled up, we need forgiveness. I think the biblical vision of prayer is that those things are vital, those things are important. We need to know how to do those things. But they flow from a place of being before the living God. They flow from that place where we have sought his face and we have sought to be before him. Because it's what we're made for that lovely phrase in Ecclesiastes about how God has 
placed uh, eternity in our hearts, that the humanity has this blessing and this problem in a sense that it, its hunger can never be satisfied short of God. We all know Augustine's famous prayer about our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, saying the same thing. We are made for this relationship. We are made to adore. We are made to worship. We are made to be satisfied only by being with and before the living God. Back in Genesis, the very, one of the earliest images we have from that story is of God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve, that sense of companionship, being together, talking, being intimate with each other. It's the image we have of Jesus with his disciples. It's the image we have of him on the Emmaus Road, meeting those distressed uh, disciples and walking with them. It's like Eden being restored in a way, isn't it? Those, possibly a man and a woman and Jesus walking with them. We are made for it. And all other proper and good expressions of prayer flow out of that. It's the best place to be when we are just crying out before God about the things that Carey mentioned in his prayer, particularly events in Paris, events in Nigeria, which are truly, truly uh, frightening at this point. Where do we want to be so that we can pray? Where do we want to be so that we can intercede? We want to be quietly and before the living God. So it doesn't actually matter what we say. It just matters that we as his children in his presence place it before him. So how shall we find that place? We're on to a, a very big subject here, and I don't want to suggest this is anything other than just scratching it, because I feel, I think in the area of prayer, we are all reticent because we all feel we are not far advanced. We all feel we are still at the earliest stages, still in the foothills. And perhaps in this area, most of all, uh, we feel uncertain and feel we have much to learn. Let me, but let me nonetheless perhaps offer some thoughts as to how we might respond to that invitation of, of the Lord. Seek my face. Lord, your face do I seek. What actually will we do in order to respond and find our way to that place? It was a, a great privilege that I don't take for granted at all, but to be able to spend uh, three weeks back in the summer totally on my own in a little cabin in Sutherland and in a sense to just... The reason I was there was that I wanted to find out how you did this, how it worked, how you might take forward steps. And mostly in our lives, we don't have opportunity for that kind of space. Mostly our lives are very busy and very demanding. Um, 
and uh, that kind of space is a privilege that might come only very, very rarely. I think I, I want to say this, that if we desire God's presence in this kind of way, if we want to seek his face, if we want to be in that place before him that enables intercession and confession and prayer for the world to flow out, we do need to be willing to find time and space. There really is, I think, no way without that. Bearing in mind, you know, the, the pressure of commitments that we have. We need to find that time and we need to practice the presence of Christ. That's the title of a famous book by a, a medieval or early modern writer about uh, how he worshipped God in the, in the busyness and the work of every day. And we need to practice the presence of God intentionally in quiet and silence and in the busyness of life. Practicing the presence. And it's not about whether we feel we gain something from that because it is in fact for God. It is to offer him our presence, our praise, our recognition. And it actually doesn't matter a fig whether we feel different at the end of it because it's not about us. It's not for us. The other thing I want to say is that this is really Christian prayer we're talking about. We live in an age where meditation and silence are commended by many people, and that's good. Um, but Christian prayer and meditation is always a seeking not to be empty and quiet and silent, but to be present before Jesus himself and before God. It is Christian prayer we're talking about here, and that is always intentionally a desire to be with Christ before the Father. That means that the tools that we can use on this journey are scripture and Christian prayer as well as silence. I have found very useful just using short uh, verses of scriptures, just phrases from scripture and using them repeatedly and over and over again. A simple one like, the Lord is my shepherd. Just let that be the theme for a time of quietness before God. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Or a simple prayer of your own. One that at an earlier time in my life I found very helpful personally, which I just used over and again as just a, almost like the key uh, to draw into God's presence was just this, living God, loving me. And I still use that, just four simple words that for me help me recognize a, a truth of the Christian life and faith and to draw into God's presence through it and to be willing to use silence. One th other thing I've learned, I think, is this, that it's not necessarily a peaceful experience doing this. It can be quite turbulent. It may be an experience of peace and quietness and of praise. But when we are ourselves face to face before God in his presence in that way, all kinds of things can happen. Not least that the unfinished business of our souls will come to the surface. And my experience is that at such times, anxiety and fear 
anger, resentment, all kinds of things just erupt into the, into, the, into the consciousness. And that's why I think it is the right place to be so that confession and intercession can flow from it. It's the place of honesty. It's the place of exposure. When we are deliberately like that before God, it enables what's true and real about ourselves that we mostly hide to begin to come out. So it may not be a blessed experience in that sense. It may actually be quite turbulent. But where else would you rather be when such things come to the surface than intentionally and consciously before God? So just in conclusion, I offer you another prayer I use for in this kind of journey, which is very well known, very, very simple, but actually I think puts its finger on just about everything that matters. It's the famous prayer of Richard of Chichester, where his prayer is that day by day he might see God more clearly, I might see you more clearly, love you more dearly, follow you more nearly. Very, very simple, but actually right on the nail, I think. Perhaps the band could come up. We're going to sing a, 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 another very simple song of adoration and praise and worship. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Let's sit for this and use it prayerfully. Don't, you don't need to sing if you don't wish to, uh, but let's allow it just to be a vehicle for a, for a few minutes as we are together to just take that step of intention into God's presence. You have said, God, seek my face. Your face, O oh Lord, do I seek. <laughs>